You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegates.org. As uh, Bryce mentioned, uh, last week we started our summer series through Proverbs, which we've called Wisdom Lit. And um, as uh, Bryce also mentioned earlier, we're going to be reading Proverbs together starting tomorrow. So please commit to that. So starting Proverbs 1 on Monday and then going all the way one chapter to Friday, take a break on the weekend, then you can not stop reading the Bible, but maybe read something else in the Bible, and then we'll keep reading. So it's all, always Monday to Friday. Monday to Friday is when we're going to be reading a chapter a day, and um, we're going to be posting that reading plan on our e-bulletin, I believe, and uh, also on Facebook, too. So if you're like, I forget what chapter we're in, am I behind? Um, then you can check that out. Hopefully you're not behind, you're ahead. Um, but whatever. Um, no judgment. All right, so um, in kind of a continuation from last week, what I want to do is I want to give us some more tools to help us and equip us to read Proverbs and get the most out of it that we can. So um, when we start reading on Monday or tomorrow, we'll be prepared to read it, we'll be ready to read it, and we'll kind of have an understanding of some of the concepts and themes that, that appear throughout Proverbs. And um, uh, last week, we did kind of an overview of Proverbs, and um, so first of all, what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be watching a video, actually. It's not going to replace my sermon, don't worry, I'm not using a video to replace my job, but uh, this is stuff I talked about last week. <laughs> Um, it's a video on Proverbs, and it'll give us an overview, and it's by the Bible Project. Some of you might have heard of the Bible Project. Um, so it's about Proverbs, and it'll give us a review of what I talked about. It'll also give us a little bit more information as well. So it'll be a refresher for those who were here last Sunday and a good overview for those who missed last Sunday. And then secondly, after this video, with again, with the intention of preparing us to read through Proverbs ourselves, I'm going to be focusing in and talking about one of the main themes and concepts that show up a lot throughout the book, especially in the first nine chapters. So without further ado, let's watch the video Proverbs by the Bible Project. The book of Proverbs. The word proverb typically refers to a short, clever saying that offers some kind of wisdom, and this book has a lot of those. But they're almost all in the center section of the book, chapters 10 to 29. But there is way more going on in the book of Proverbs, especially at the beginning, chapters 1 through 9, and the conclusion, chapters 30 and 31. The book's been designed with an introduction, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, and it first of all links this book to King Solomon. Now remember the story in 1 Kings chapter 3. Solomon had asked God for wisdom to lead Israel well. And so Solomon became known as the wisest man in the ancient world. And we're told in 1 Kings chapter 4 that he wrote thousands of proverbs and poems and collected knowledge about plants and animals. So Solomon was like the fountainhead of Israel's wisdom literature. So while not all the material in this book is written by him personally, he is where Israel's wisdom tradition began. 
The introduction says that by reading this book, you too can gain wisdom. Now, wisdom for most of us means knowledge, but the Hebrew word chokhmah means much more than just mental activity. It refers to action also. So think skill or applied knowledge. This is why back in the book of Exodus, chapter 31, it was artists and craftsmen in Israel who were said to have chokhmah. So the purpose of this book is to help you develop a set of practical skills for living well in God's world. And this gets linked with another key idea in the introduction, the fear of the Lord. Now, fear here is not about terror. It's about a healthy sense of reverence and awe for God and about my place in the universe. It's a moral mindset that recognizes I am not God and that I don't get to make up my own definitions of good and evil and right and wrong. Rather, I need to humble myself before God and embrace God's definition of right and wrong, even when that's inconvenient for me. Now, this introduction leads us into the first main section of the book, chapters 1 through 9, which also doesn't contain short one-liner proverbs. Rather, what we find here are ten speeches from a father to a son about how the son should listen to wisdom and cultivate the fear of the Lord and live accordingly, which means a life of virtue and integrity and generosity, all of which lead to success and peace. The father warns his son also about folly and evil and stupid decisions that will breed selfishness and pride, all leading to ruin and shame. And so the son should make the pursuit of wisdom and the fear of the Lord his highest goal in life. And this way of thinking, it forms the moral logic of this entire book. Now, these speeches from the father also clue us into what biblical wisdom literature is and how it's different from other parts of the Bible. These books explore how to live well in God's world, but wisdom is not the same as law, like what Moses gave Israel at Mount Sinai. And it's not the same as prophecy, divine speech to God's people. Rather, wisdom literature has the accumulated insight of God's people through the generations about how to live in a way that honors God and others. And so, through the book of Proverbs now, these human words about wisdom have been put together as God's word and wisdom to his people, which connects to the other thing you find in chapters one through nine. There are four poems from Lady Wisdom. Here, wisdom has been poetically personified as a woman who calls out to humanity to pay attention and to seek her. Wisdom says that she is woven into the fabric of the universe. And so wherever you see people making wise decisions, they are relying on her. So you see someone being generous or having sexual integrity or upholding justice. They are drawing on wisdom. These Lady Wisdom poems, they're a creative, poetic way of exploring this idea that we live in God's moral universe and that goodness and justice are objective realities that we ignore to our own peril. And so fearing the Lord, living wisely, it's living along the grain of the universe. Now, together, these two sets of speeches from the Father and Lady Wisdom, they make a powerful claim about this book, that you're not simply reading good advice. You're reading God's own invitation to learn wisdom from previous generations. And so in the next section of the book, chapters 10 through 29, we find hundreds of ancient proverbs, and they apply wisdom and the fear of the Lord to every life topic you could imagine. Family, work, neighborhood, friendship, sex, marriage, money, anger, forgiveness, alcohol, debt, 
everything. And these are all filtered through the value system of Proverbs 1 through 9. Now, these Proverbs, they're all pretty short. They're easy to memorize. And actually, this section of the book is meant to become a reference work that you return to time and time again throughout the years, which raises some important issues in learning how to read these Proverbs. First of all, Proverbs are by nature about probabilities. So you fear the Lord and you make wise, good choices things will likely go well for you. And if you don't fear the Lord, you're foolish, your life will likely not go so well. Now, that is all often true, but not always. Which leads to the next point, that Proverbs are not promises. They're not formulas for success. So, some Proverbs, for example. The fear of the Lord prolongs your life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. Or, train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they won't turn from it. So yes, fearing God, being a moral person, will most likely lead to a better, longer life. And raising your kids in a stable, loving home does set them up well. But there are no guarantees. Lots of things can and often do go wrong in our world. And so lastly, Proverbs by nature focus on the general rule, but not the exceptions, which are many. And the wisdom books actually aren't ignorant of that. The exceptions are what the other wisdom books, Job and Ecclesiastes, are all about. And together, these acknowledge that life is too complex for simple formulas, which is why we need all of the wisdom books together to get the bigger picture. This all leads to the final section of the book, two large collections of poems. First, poems from a man named Agur, who begins by acknowledging his own ignorance and folly and his great need for God's wisdom. And then Agur discovers that divine wisdom has been given to him in the scriptures, which teach him how to live well. And so Agur is put before us as like a model reader of the book of Proverbs, somebody who's always open to hearing God's wisdom through the scriptures. The final poems are connected to a man named Lemuel. He's a non-Israelite king, and he passes on the wisdom that was given to him by his mom. It's guidance for being a wise and just leader. And then the final poem is an acrostic or an alphabet poem where each line begins with a new letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And the entire poem is about the woman of noble character. It depicts a woman who lives according to the wisdom of Proverbs and stands like a model of someone who takes God's wisdom and then translates it into practical decisions in everyday life, at work or at home, in her family and in her community. So the book opened with words from a father to a son about listening to Lady Wisdom. And so now the book closes by offering the words of a mother to her son about a woman who lives wisely. The book of Proverbs is for every person in every season of life. It's a guide for living wisely and well in God's good world. And that's what the book of Proverbs is all about. All right, so there's an overview of Proverbs for you. Hopefully you uh, could follow that. That's what, I love those videos because they're really easy to follow, and they got nice cartoons and pictures on them, and um, they're really concise but, but very excellent. And just a little FYI, this video is one of the many excellent resources available to us through Right Now Media, which we subscribe to as a church, which you get for free. So if you haven't signed up for that yet, and what are you waiting for? Because why not? It's uh, not a difficult choice. <laughs> um, and speaking of choices, our lives are a series of choices, aren't they? 
Um, I'm sure some famous person uh, said that. But really, it should be credited to Captain Obvious. Our lives are a series of choices. Every, every day, we face choices and make decisions, good and bad, small and big. And those decisions, in turn, directly uh, direct the trajectory sorry, of, of our lives and others' lives. And other people's choices, choices actually direct the trajectory of our lives as well. So all these choices and decisions that we're making um, direct our lives, right? And in Proverbs 9, which is what we're going to be talking about this morning, in Proverbs 9, we're faced with a choice as well, a pretty big one, a very important one, one that, a choice that lurks behind almost every other choice that we make in our lives. It's a choice between two women, actually. Lady Wisdom or Madame Folly. Uh, but more than that, ultimately, as we'll find, it's a choice between wisdom or folly, between life or death. So, in saying that, it's not a choice that we're meant to take lightly either. So the first eight chapters have been leading up to this point, this decision, and the rest of the book of Proverbs, and whether we'll understand it and, and be willing to, to, to humble ourselves and learn from it, depends on the choice that we make in Proverbs 9. So as we read Proverbs 9, what we'll find is that two women, wisdom and folly, are inviting us to their, to their party, to dine at their table, and the question remains, whose invitation will we accept? So let's read that. Proverbs 9, 1 to 18. Proverbs 9, 1 to 18. It says, Wisdom has built her house. She has carved out her seven pillars. She has prepared her meat. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her female servants. She calls out from the highest points of the city. Whoever is inexperienced, enter here. To the one who lacks sense, she says, come, eat my bread and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave an experience behind and you will live. Pursue the way of understanding. The one who corrects a mocker will bring abuse on himself. The one who rebukes the wicked will get hurt. Don't rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke the wise and he will love you. Instruct the wise and he will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and he will learn more. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me your days will be many, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for your own benefit. If you mock, you alone will bear the consequences. Folly is a rowdy woman. She is gullible and knows nothing. She sits by the doorway of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling to those who pass by, who go straight ahead on their paths. Whoever is inexperienced, enter here to the one who lacks sense, she says. Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten secretly is tasty. But he doesn't know that the departed spirits are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. There's a lot going on there, right? Um, I'll try to simplify it for you. You know when you're watching a Bugs Bunny cartoon or some cartoon like that, and uh, the character's going through some moral crisis or some kind of indecision, 
And in order to visualize uh, their dilemma, an, an angel and a, and a demon, you know, pop up on, on either of their shoulders to try to persuade the character to their side. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, well, just in case you guys don't watch cartoons and have no idea what I'm talking about, here's an image of Kronk from Emperor's New Groove going through a moral dilemma, right? Um, that's a funny movie. Uh, anyways, <laughs> obviously this is just a, a simple caricature of what really goes on in our hearts and our minds and our spirit when, when, we're, when we're going through a, a moral dilemma or, or indecision. But, but it's an effective illustration, right, to show that making the right decision isn't always as easy as we might think it is, right? So if I, have, if I asked everyone here uh, the generic question, right? If, if I asked you, whenever you're faced with a choice, would you prefer to make the right decision or the bad decision, right? Or the wrong decision, right? Of course, everyone here is going to say, oh, I'd make the right decision, right? Um, the problem, though, like we're not, we're, we're not out to seek the bad decision or the wrong decisions in life, right? The, but the problem, though, is that li- life in general and our hearts and our desires and, and our faith and our relationships and our circumstances and our instincts are way more complicated than that. Right? As, as we learned last week, in, in just about every situation, there, there's a temptation to go both ways. To, to choose wisdom or, or to choose foolishness. Think of this. When someone hurts us, for example, they say something mean to us. The right thing to do in that situation as Christians is to forgive them, right? But yet there's always that temptation to hurt them back or become bitter against them, right? And that feels right sometimes. So what I'm saying is sometimes the the wrong thing feels right to us. Sometimes the right way feels wrong and and unjust. and, And sometimes we're just not even sure. So just like those angels and demons on the shoulder of our favorite cartoons, wisdom and folly are constantly trying to pull us over to, over to their side as well. Only this, this isn't a cartoon. This is real life. And King Solomon, the author of this portion of Proverbs, he uses two different characters to display this. And these characters show up again and again throughout the book of Proverbs in the form of two appealing women who've come to be known as Lady Wisdom and Madame Folly. And you might have guessed by their names, and also because I've already said it, each woman is a personification, right? a personification of either wisdom or foolishness. And why women? Why did he use women as the personification, you might ask? Well, we have to remember that King Solomon wrote this for his son so that his son would be a wise ruler and a successful ruler when he grew up and became king. So his intention wasn't to write it for the masses, and he had no knowledge that it would become part of our Bible. So from his perspective, the temptation and allure of of women was a poignant and obvious metaphor to use in order to explain to his son and show his son that there's an allure and temptation of both wisdom and folly as well. So it's, it's something that was relatable to his son, right? But that doesn't mean that this text is only, text is only for um, young men, right? 
So, I mean, if we only read Proverbs on a, on a surface level and interpret the women literally, we might think it's just about being wise and finding a good wife and being faithful to her. Um, and while those are good lessons to learn and still apply, it's, it's much deeper than that. There's a lot more going on in Proverbs. Plus, we have to take into, into account that, that hundreds of years after Solomon wrote this, this text was included in a canon of Scripture, which tells us, and it's a good sign, that it tells us that the instruction we find here um, was and, and is still considered useful for more than just young men. It's useful and, and, and applicable for all of us, even though we're not the originally intended readers. So in the same way, we just went through Galatians, right? So it's in the same way that Galatians was useful for us, even though we weren't the original intended readers of the letter. Uh, anyways, Proverbs 8.4 8, confirms this when it says, People, I call out to you. My cry is to the children of Adam. This, is, this, is, this call of wisdom is for all of us. Okay, So this is just personification when it's using the women. So with that being said, we still need to interpret it accordingly. That is, in the way a young man back then would understand it. So that we can then probably understand and apply the truth behind it for ourselves. So that's how we interpret Proverbs, and especially when it comes to the um, to alluring women, wisdom and folly. So, so again, the son is, is presented with, with these two alluring women, right? And you can tell as, as you read through Proverbs that these two women, they don't like each other very much. In fact, what we'll find is they're often presented in direct opposition to one another. Again, not unlike the angel and demon would be on the opposing shoulders of Bugs Bunny, or, or a better picture would be like uh, Betty and Veronica fighting over Archie, right? This is what's going on in Proverbs 9. So Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly are both competing for the affection of the reader. This, this, the reader is this simpleton, this inexperienced and naive young man, who, who doesn't know anything, and who really presents, represents all of us, if, if we're humble and we admit that, right? We, we don't have wisdom. We don't know what's going on. God knows. We don't know. So the, and they're both calling out to this, this, this young man. And in this chapter we just read, they're both inviting him to come to their table and eat of their offerings, so to speak. And it's at this point that the reader is finally faced with, with a big decision. He must choose one of them. It's come to this. He must choose one of them. As Raymond Ortland Jr. writes, As we come to Proverbs 9, we are confronted with a choice. The passage portrays two houses, one on either side of the road. On one side, a house stands open with an elegant lady named Wisdom inviting us in. On the other side of the road, another house stands open with a seductive lady named Folly inviting us in. Which way will we turn? Which way will we turn? But we have to remember that this, this moment of decision hasn't, hasn't just come out of nowhere. Okay? The, the first eight chapters have been leading up to and preparing the reader for it. These women have been showing up throughout, as the video said, there's, there's four uh, poems about Lady Wisdom that have, that have shown up throughout. 
So in order for us to get a, a better understanding of how to interpret what's going on in chapter 9 and in the same vein, how to approach this decision for ourselves, first of all, we need to understand how we got here, how we came to this decisive moment. We need to understand who these two women are, or even better, what they represent. And then we need to understand why and how this matters to us. All right, so chapter 1 of Proverbs, we're going to back up. Chapter 1 of Proverbs is when we're first introduced to Lady Wisdom. And in Proverbs 1, I'm just going to read from a couple of verses. From Proverbs 1, it says about her, Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. So our first introduction to Lady Wisdom describes her as being a selfless woman who wants to freely share what she has to offer, who calls, up, who calls to us because she, she wants the best for us. She doesn't want us to remain naive and, and stupid. Right? She, she offers knowledge and security and peace in life. And all we have to do is turn to her. And she also says something curious. That she'll put her spirit in us and make her words known to us. And this is a hint already that King Solomon is, is talking about more than just her relationship with a woman. Right? There's a spirit and truth aspect to this as well. So, I wonder who this is pointing to. Um, if you've heard Brad's uh, talk this morning, that it's Pentecost Sunday, you might already know what's going on here. But I've given away too much already. Anyways, Lady Wisdom continues to show up through Proverbs, and in chapter 3 is described as one who is a blessing and more precious than silver, and more profitable than gold. Nothing, it says, even compares to her. Who else in the Bible is described like that? Uh, it describes her then as being a, a woman who exudes pleasantness, peace, purity, success, riches, and honor. In chapter 8, she's described as a voice of truth. She's trustworthy and, and doesn't deceive or lie or do what's evil. But ultimately, Lady Wisdom is described as the one who leads to and gives life. Proverbs 3, 16 to 18 says, Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. So to choose Lady Wisdom is to choose life. It's to be blessed. So ultimately, King Solomon is telling his son that if he, if he marries Lady Wisdom or commits himself to wisdom, he'll receive in his life all the characteristics that, that she carries, that, that peace, the joy, success, goodness, righteousness, knowledge, life. As he says in Proverbs 4, 5 to 6, 8 to 9, this is his promise if he chooses wisdom. He says, get wisdom, get insight. 
And do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Of course, again, the she is talking about wisdom. This is what wisdom will do if we commit ourselves to her. And then finally then, as, as the video mentions, in, in Proverbs 31, we're given that image of, of a, a wise woman, or as some, some would call that perfect wife, okay? I should note that many women's ministries have popped up over the years based on this passage about being a Proverbs 31 woman. Has anyone ever heard that? It's got to be a Proverbs 31 woman, right? Maybe Proverbs 31 woman. Um, and yeah, I'm sure there's some lessons to learn in that regard about being uh, a, a good and faithful and selfless wife. Great. Though I read one of those verses to my wife the other day, which says the wife always gets up early to prepare food for everyone. And then after reading that to her, I asked her to make sure the next morning I woke up to French toast, a meal of French toast. It's weird, but that conversation didn't go over very well. I don't, I don't know what was going on there, but most likely, I think I figured out why that didn't go very well and why I didn't eat breakfast that morning. Um, is most likely because this passage is actually referring to what wisdom does for us when we're married to it, or to her, so to speak. It's the picture of the promise given in Proverbs 4 that I just read, of how wisdom will selflessly protect, guide, nourish, and exalt us. So while it still might work as advice to wives, the, the, the wives there is the metaphor. Okay? So it's less about that and more of a metaphor for the benefits of committing ourselves to lady wisdom. It, it would be Kind of odd if a book about wisdom ended on how to be a good wife. That wouldn't make sense. It makes more sense if it ends on this is what life looks like when you're married to wisdom. Hope that's not controversial for you all, but this is how we're supposed to approach Proverbs, right? So again, Proverbs 31 is an image of what the young man's life will be like if he makes the choice to go to Lady Wisdom's house in Proverbs 9. Remember, we're talking about that choice. If he goes to that house, Proverbs 31 describes what his life will be like. In a nutshell, King Solomon is calling the reader to choose and seek wisdom. And then in the middle of chapter 9, you see, there's all those little proverbs that I read in the middle of chapter 9. I'm not going to go through them right now. But, but those, those are the characteristics of, of, or the fruit, we could call them, of those who do choose Lady Wisdom. And that's wisdom. That's, that's how the, they'll live their life, right, if they choose wisdom. But hopefully you've begun to see that, that, that above all, Lady Wisdom herself, I've been hinting at it, is metaphorically, you know, the metaphor of Lady Wisdom herself is, is actually pointing us to the person and work of Jesus, who, as it says in 1 Corinthians, became wisdom for us, who through the cross changes our hearts and invites us to know God and have life. Right? We need Jesus if we're going to have wisdom. We need him to change our hearts if we're going to be able to choose rightly. 
Solomon tells us again and again that in order to, to choose wisdom or to find wisdom or to, or to seek wisdom or to grow in wisdom, it always starts with submitting to the Lord. Even in the passage we read this morning, Proverbs 8.10, he says this, this is how you choose Lady Wisdom. It says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So at, at its foundation, to choose wisdom and gain understanding is to choose to follow Jesus, to submit to the Lord, and to be filled with his spirit. As Brad said this morning, we need his spirit to work in us, or we can't, we can't make the right choice. It's to know the way, the truth, and the life. But even then, the choice isn't as always as it seems, Right? When you're making that decision, there's, all, there's another woman striving for his and our affections. King Solomon reminds his son of this when he introduces him to Lady Folly in chapter 2. So Lady Folly is described here as a mysterious woman. Mysterious because she sparks the desire or curiosity of the, of the unknown or, or the, the stuff that, that isn't allowed, Right? She's also described as an attention-seeking seductress or temptress or whatever you want to call her. She's trying to deceive and tempt young men to her side with her smooth words, her revealing outfits and delightful promises, all while her own husband is out of town. But King Solomon doesn't mince his words when he writes that her promises are fake and will only lead to death. In chapter 7, we're given an even clearer picture of this when wisdom folly is described as an adulterous woman who approaches a young clueless man and, and tricks him into falling for her by, by her dress and her speech. And she's, she's kissing him and, and, and telling him she's been waiting for him, that she's prepared her bed with luxurious covers and, and fragrances and that her husband is, is out for the evening. This is the result and, and I guess the lesson to be learned. Proverbs seven twenty one to 23, it says, She seduces him with all her talk. She entices him with her flattery, and he goes headlong after her. Like an ox to the slaughter, like a deer leaping into a trap, until an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird hurrying to the snare, not aware that it will cost him his life. So the clueless young man is is drawn into that temptation, like, like an ox to the slaughter. She seems fun, he thinks, you know, oh, she, she's tugging at my, my desires, and he thinks, what could go wrong? This will make me happy, why shouldn't I do this? But he's an idiot, being led into a trap. That's, why, that's what temptation does for us, right? It does to us. That's why in chapter 9, that the water she offers is described as sweet. Oh, it's sweet. But it's stolen. And her bread must be eaten in secret in order to be tasty. Pretty sketchy if you ask me, right? But yet in real life, these stolen and twisted things are tempting, aren't they? They pull out our sinful nature and our selfishness and our pride and our desire to gratify the flesh. As Raymond C. Van Leeuwen writes, I don't know if I said his last name right, it doesn't matter, folly and sin are always parasitic of the good that God by wisdom has made. Folly takes the goods, takes what's good, and destroys their goodness by ripping them 
from their proper place in the coherence of things. Folly has not built her house. She has stolen it. So every, everything Madame Folly presents to the young man are, are good things, but they're good things that have been perverted, twisted, and stolen for her own purposes. They're things we want, and they're things that we even need. But they're presented and offered in a way that God didn't intend for them, in a way that makes them empty and ultimately destructive. So again, in the same way that Lady Wisdom is a personification of of wisdom and faithfulness and righteousness, Madame Folly is a personification of foolishness, temptation, and sin. I should note, though, that that the, the metaphors here like the example of being unfaithful to your own wife and going to the bed of another woman, especially one who's married, you know, that's foolishness too. So, so we can't discount the lesson there and, and, and his wisdom in choosing a, a righteous woman as his wife. That, that's still a good lesson, right? That's still a good lesson, but there's a deeper meaning here that those who deny wisdom and choose foolishness are choosing death. In Proverbs, they're saying it, it's one who loves death. Those, those who give in to temptation are, are opening themselves up to evil, to harsh consequences and, and destruction in, in our current life and in, and in spirit, right? And, and beyond that, we have to grasp the, the bigger idea here, which King Solomon's presenting to us, which is that those who choose foolishness in any situation are likened to those who commit adultery. They're actually cheating on God. So what he's implying here is is that anything listed in Proverbs as being foolishness or folly is us saying to God, no, and yes, please, to the bed of Madame Folly. That's, That's the bigger picture. That's what's going on here. What he's telling us is that to lie is to cheat on God. To steal is to cheat on God. To be poor stewards of our money and our blessings that God gave us is to cheat on God. To to deny discipline and pridefully ignore advice is to cheat on God. To go back on our covenants and our promises to one another is to cheat on God. To be bitter is to cheat on God. To be lazy is to cheat on God. To place our trust in, in money or idols is to cheat on God. To disobey our parents is to cheat on God. The list goes on and on. James 4 verse 4 draws from and confirms this theme from Proverbs when it says, Adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the world's friend becomes God's enemy. And we can read in Malachi chapters 2 and 3 as well. It draws out this theme when God tells his people they've been cheating on him and robbing him by their foolish and sinful actions with their, their lack of sacrifices and, and their lack of tithes and offerings. So, so, so finally then, with, with all this in mind, we're, we're presented with a decision. Both Lady Wisdom and Madame Folly, you might have noticed, they beckon the young man in the exact same way. They say the exact same thing. Whoever is inexperienced or, or simple, enter here. But yet what they have to offer and their motivations are completely opposite of one another. 
Right? Wisdom wants to give the simple man knowledge. Right? But folly wants to take advantage of his simplicity and use him. So we see Lady Wisdom is in her temple. She's, she's prepared a wedding feast with, with the slaughtered meat and the, and the good wine and the bread, the bread of life. She offers truth and love, righteousness and goodness, peace and security, health and prosperity. She offers purity and life, a life in the presence of God. Those who eat this meal will be wise. But on the other side of the street, in a stolen house, Madame Folly flaunts her body and offers stolen food and stupidity. But the problem is that, that she draws us in with promises of excitement and gratification of, of our desires and good times. Right? As she says, stolen water and secret bread is sweet. Again, she's not wrong. Sin is often sweet while we're doing it until we face the consequences or the guilt sets in. So the truth is, is that in the end, she can, that all she can offer is death, a life cut off from God. Those who eat this meal will be foolish, so foolish they won't even know it. Like a cow walking to the slaughter. So the, so the question remains, not just for the young man, but for everyone, Whose table will you sit at? Whose table will you sit at? Wisdoms or follies? Again, the answer seems obvious, right? <laughs> but more often than not, we humans, in our sinful nature, choose Madame Folly. We choose Madame Folly. In, in, in the end, think about this, in the end, King Solomon... The wisest person in the ancient world? What did he choose? Which table did he choose? Folly. He chose folly. And, and guess what? His son, who I assume read this because it was for him, I don't, or maybe he was a stubborn teenager and was like, I don't need your advice. Who knows? But either way, whether he read it or not, Guess what he chose? Folly. If they chose folly, <laughs> what hope do we have, right? More often than not, we choose the temptation over righteousness. We choose foolishness over wisdom. We choose death over life. Which means that before we can choose rightly, our hearts need to be changed. Our nature needs to be transformed. And that's why it always comes back to Jesus. Because Jesus, too, invites us to his wedding banquet. The only difference is that his body is the sacrificial lamb. The wine is, is his blood. And the bread is his body. The bread of life. And he invites us to come to him to partake at his table and be changed by his grace, to walk in, in righteousness. As Daniel and Jonathan Aiken write, the New Testament says that Jesus is the wisdom of God, and he invites us to a meal as well. He invites us to feast on him, 
Those who eat this meal, those, those who feast on Christ's flesh and blood, will live and be part of his kingdom. Christ's meal is not for those who think they're wise. It is for those who know they are fools and who want to grow in wisdom. Jesus, he lived a perfect life, and yet he took the punishment for our foolishness. He died the death our foolishness deserved so that by his sacrifice we might live, so that we can walk in the fear of the Lord, so that we can walk, seek after, and walk in the way of wisdom and knowledge. And as Brad talked about this morning, his Holy Spirit calls us and convicts us and beckons us and draws us in to the arms and the love of Jesus. Jesus invites all of us now to to receive his invitation of forgiveness and life, abundant life, new life, resurrection life. He invites us in so that he can transform our hearts and fill us with his spirit and lead us into the wisdom and knowledge of God. So whether you're a believer this morning who needs to repent of your foolishness, like me, or whether you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. We're all standing at the crossroads of Proverbs 9. Will we repent and accept his invitation of life? Will we humble ourselves and accept his invitation of life? Or will we take our chances with Madame Foley? I implore you to seek after Jesus, to accept his invitation of grace. No matter how foolish you've been, there's always grace to cover it and to wash over it. Accept his invitation of grace and new life. And we're going to do that now as we come to the table to receive the Lord's Supper. I'm going to pray before we do that. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for who you are, Lord. We glorify your name. We lift up your name. And as we do that, we realize just how simple we are and how much we need your grace, your love, your wisdom. And Lord, on that end, I thank you that you sent your one and only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to be wisdom for us. To bear the death our foolishness deserved so that we can be welcomed into your kingdom, covered in in his grace and his righteousness, filled by his spirit so that we can walk in the way of wisdom and grow in knowledge and understanding of who you are, Lord. And I pray that for each of us this morning as we stand on that crossroads of Proverbs 9 that you would move us, move in us to accept Lady Wisdom's invitation. That we would turn from temptation or that you would keep us from temptation and deliver us from evil. that we can have life in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.